0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back. This week is Pasha's Tetzaveh, and it's also parashat Zohar. And we're going to be learning through the halachas of Purim. So let's begin with time Esther. Pregnant and nursing women don't have to fast, even if it's at the very beginning of the pregnancy. A nursing women, as long as they're nursing with some regularity, they don't have to fast, and if it's very little, so then you can call and we can figure out whether you do or you don't have to fast. If a person is sick enough to go to bed, they don't have to fast and they shouldn't fast. The tainous begins at Aloisha hashacha, which is where we're going to be changing the clock, so it's going to be kind of early. You could wake up before and uh, eat, but... You should have in mind to do so before going to sleep if you want to do that. And men should not eat mezynus or hamitzi unless they begin a half hour before Allah. but a woman can eat whatever they want. So you, a woman can eat as long as she stops by life, She can eat whatever she wants. If someone, someone, I'm sorry, mistakenly ate during this tainus or any tainus, the halacha is you need to continue fasting for the rest of the day. And uh, then ask a Shiloh what you should do as far as making up the tinness is concerned. But regardless, you have to fast for the rest of the day. On this fast day or on any fast day, you shouldn't use mouth mouthwash or brush your teeth with uh, water. But if a person suffers seriously from not doing that, it's very, very bothersome, so then you can. But you just have to be very careful when you rinse, you should use very, very little water and keep your head bowed down towards the sink. Ideally, you can. if you rinse, you should only be rinsing with mouthwash and like i said use very little and keep your head down, bad down to the sink but ideally a person should not be doing that on a on a fast has sashahto so there's a minig to give before or after min khantainis ester a has ha'shekel to Tzedakah, which means the amount equivalent of a dollar 50 you don't have to specifically give half dollars you can just give the the, the amount the equivalent amount in money or check generally husbands take care of this then even though you can you can do it on your own, but generally the husband will take care of this and give the mahtashekel for the, his wife and children, um, even though essentially the the obligation begins when you're 20, the minig is to give for all your children, but you don't have to give for an unborn child. And mahtashekel money can't be used for Shekel. It has to be um, other money. shekel if you forget to give it bef- uh, before Purim, you can give it any time during Chodesh so you have time to give it. Uh, Megillah, both men and women are equally obligated to hear the entire Megillah from beginning and to end. Very important, you can't come late to the Megillah. You can't miss the first couple of words. miss the first couple of words, there's no point hearing the rest. Uh, either you can try to catch up, which is tricky, but if you can, it's great. But uh, otherwise, go somewhere else. Find a different Megillah landing because the, you have to hear the whole Megillah from beginning to end. You can't hear it out of order, so you can't like add those words later. You need to hear the whole Megillah. We're also obligated to bring our children in Megillah, but they do have to be old enough. And old enough means uh, old enough to sit through it and listen quietly. And if you're not sure and they might disturb others or disturb you, it's better not to bring them. So what should you do if you came a few minutes late to the Megillah? So generally, uh, if you're a few minutes late, hopefully all you're missing, all you're missing is uh, the brachas. If you miss the brachas, so you missed them. I would tell you to say it to yourself, and then try to catch up to the Balkhire. But I would only tell you to do that if you're confident you'll be able to catch up to the Balkhire. And that's hard. Balkhire tend to go very fast. And unless you're very familiar with the Megillah, it's very hard to read as fast as them. It's one thing to read a, a line or two, you know, I mean, a couple of words, but to read a, the amount it t- takes you to say the three Brachas, you're probably not going to be able to catch up. So if you come and they have just finished the Brachas, or wherever they are in the brachas and they're about to start to Megillah just be yaitzev with whatever the brachas you heard and just listen to the balkari your best that way and this way you'll be able to hear the whole thing if you do happen to miss some words because someone made noise someone coughed your kid talked to you so then you can read you should read that's what you need to do you need to read out of a, out of a chumash have a chumash with you read it out read out the words that you missed and if, again if it's only a few words you probably will be able to catch up especially when it's around Haman when they, the balkari stops and everybody's banging Haman so Hopefully you'll have a chance then to uh, to catch up. If you did miss totally, like you had to go to the bathroom in the middle, so then you really need to go find somewhere else to hear the megillah or have someone lay in the megillah for you after uh, after babbling. It's also important to make a, a uh, an attempt, at least, not to fall asleep. If you fall, if you actually fall asleep, that that's okay. That's just like missing it. Um, but even to doze or to space out is important not to do it during the magilla. If you're spacing out, but you're not like so spaced out that um, you don't even know what's going on around you then you're still say, But if you really, really zone out, you should ask Eshila. So, important to pay attention during the Megillah. It's actually the reason why we uh, bang Haman and the reason why we listen. We say, I'm sorry, uh, the whole Tzibur says certain psukum together. There's four psukum we say together. Shushan, Sahala, The last Pasek. The reason why we say all those psukum together is specifically so to help everybody um, pay attention and help everybody concentrate so we try to keep it lively because it's very important to listen and not space out during the Megillah. During the day when you hear the Megillah and the, you will hear the bracha of Yanu, it's good to keep in mind that that Yanu does not only apply to the mitzvah of reading the Megillah but also applies to the mitzvahs we're going to be doing on that day, Mishlech Manis, Matanis and the Suda. At night and in the morning, one should not eat before hearing Megillah. It's permitted to have a coffee in the morning. Uh, at night, it's customary to just continue your fast until after hearing Megillah. But obviously, if it's difficult, it's fine to eat and drink something, which is shahakal or adama. Just avoid meziness before the Megillah any So again, Megillah by day, you can certainly have your coffee and have some, you know, small things you can eat before hearing Megillah. And by night, you should, if you can, continue fasting until you hear the Megillah. But if it's difficult, the same thing, you can have coffee and, and these kind of non-Mezaynus fruits. The bracha that you'll see in the sitter of Harav Esrayed Rivenu is this long bracha after the Megillah. That is only said by a balkyre, Wayne Laning for a tzibur of men, so everybody's quiet and listens to the balkyre. But otherwise, you, you don't say it, even if you're hearing Megillah on your own, you don't say that bracha. All you say is Shoshan um, Yaakov, which is the at the end of that bracha. Manis. the mitzvah of Mishlai is to give two portions of food to one person. That's the minimal amount necessary to be ate to at the mitzvah, two portions of food to one person. If they're both the same food, exact same food, like two pieces of, of uh, chocolate cake, so then it's like hard to consider it two portions cause just because you decide to cut it in half. So it should be two kinds of food, but it They can be the same bracha. You can give um, one piece of chocolate cake and one piece of cinnamon bun and that's fine and that'll be considered to a it could be the same broccoli, it could be even the same type of food as long as it's not the same exact food uh if you made a salad so that even though it could be a lot of different things in the salad but once it's all mixed together it is really considered one min and you would have to add something else which could be a drink or it could be anything but it's once it if it's actually mixed together that's not okay um if you have a a, um, a vegetable platter that's fine you know so it's a separate Distinct different uh, vegetables, that's okay. Water should not be used for Mishlah Ahmanis. But anything flavored is fine. The idea is that you're giving something that can be used for the Suda. It should be something respectable. If you're giving tiny portions of candy, uh, that's usually not so respectable. So, regardless, you can really, it doesn't make a difference because you can give as much of Mishle as you want, but at least try to give one which is more respectable. If it does, uh, particular theme you chose this year is, um, you know, just like simple candy, so then see if at least you can make one that is a little bit more respectable, hollow, uh, or something like that. Men and women are equally obligated in this mitzvah, and children are also you're meant we need to be mechanach our children. Mishlach manis should not be sent to someone who is an abelus, but they could be directed to the spouse who is not an abelus, but once you're directing it towards the spouse, so then it should be given by the same gender. So if the husband is in avelis and you're directing it towards the wife, then a woman should be the one giving it. If it's uh, the opposite, then the same thing. Then the man should be the one giving it to the man. The mitzvah of Matanaslav Yainim is to give a monetary gift to two poor people. There's no clear minimum amount. It's preferable if it's enough money to buy an elementary suda, so about $5 poor, I'm sorry per poor person should suffice. So the husband should be giving $10 to Mishra Matanus five, at five, and the wife should be giving $10 to Matanus Av five and five, and children, it's a question if they're obligated or not, but uh, so at least make them a shuliach, try to give that money that they should give it to tzedakah. You don't have to actually give the money yourself. Your husband uh, can give money for your sake and you can be with that. Meister money can't be used towards Matanaslav Yainim, but once you've satisfied the basic obligation you can use, for additional Matanaslav Yainim, you can use Meister money. And this mitzvah can be done through the various organizations which represent poor people, they're your shluchim, the money can be given before Purim to be distributed on Purim, and it can be given to to poor people in Yisrael, but it's always important to reserve money for the poor people within our own city. The Sudas Purim needs to begin before sunset, before Shkia, and then continues into the night. And uh, as long as you start it by day, you say Al-Hanisim, regardless when you, uh, when, when, when you bench. But the obligation is to wash and to eat something fleshly. So that's, those are two important parts of the Sudas Purim. If you forget Al-Hanisim by benching or davening, that's not something you go back for. And even if you just finished the bracha, you don't go back. Let's talk about Purim a little bit. We know that there is an unusual mitzvah on Purim. There's a mitzvah to drink wine. How much wine to drink? That's debated in the Paiskin. But the simple understanding of the Gemara seems to be that one should drink until they're thoroughly drunk. Chayav Adam Lupsumi Adelayada, a person is required to get drunk until he doesn't know the difference between Baruch Mardechai and Arahaman. So it sounds like, from the Gemara, a simple understanding, which remains the simple understanding that you have to get very, very, very drunk. And this, is, this seems perplexing. The effect that alcohol has on a person is generally seen to be the antithesis of HaVait HaShem. If a Kayin drinks even one revius of wine, he drinks three ounces of wine, he can't serve in the Beis HaMikdash. And if he serves after drinking three ounces of wine, he's liable for the death penalty. It's extreme disrespect to Wine clouds a person's mind, it makes them incapable of being serious and having the necessary rosh, respect, focus, which is necessary for all forms of Avedis Hashem. Now, one is permitted to daven even after drinking, but there does come a level known as shik- shikras of light, the level of intoxication that light reached, which disqualifies a person from davening. He is simply considered a shaita, someone who is mentally incapable of functioning. But yet the Gemara seems to encourage this level of drinking for Purim. So how can such actions be synonymous with serving Hashem? How can one of our holiest days, Purim, which is compared to Yom Kippur, Yom HaKippurim? how can it be celebrated with drunkenness? So the Mefarshim explained this on a very deep level, but really it's something that we should all strive for on Purim, and it doesn't make a difference if we drink or not. Drinking can be symbolic as much as literal for the effect it has upon us in a positive way, can be emulated on Purim regardless. The concept is something we should all be striving for. We all live our lives throughout the year with the knowledge of what we should be doing and what we shouldn't be doing. We know. We know what the Torah wants of us. However, although we have that knowledge, we don't necessarily live up to our standards. We don't live the kind of life we're meant to or, or would want to. For example, we know we should have the tachan and trust in Hashem. And when we trust in Hashem and leave things in His hands, we don't worry as much, we're not anxious. We trust and and we live happier lives. We can daven, we can focus, we can free ourselves to pursue Avedis Hashem, doing what He wants us to do. But when we don't allow ourselves to trust, our minds become wrapped up in anxiety and worry and it brings us to prioritize the wrong things and not serving Hashem. Our minds betray us. They don't allow us to do what we know in our heart. Is right, but they keep on plaguing us with all these worrisome thoughts and, and, and try to force us into doing some, something about it, not just relying on Hashem. Another example we know we shouldn't be speaking Lashon Hara, but we do sometimes. And then we justify it. We say, we have to say this, that person had a right to know, I had to talk about it, it isn't exactly Lashon Hara, and so on and so forth. Our minds work against us and they allow us to continue what we're doing unchecked even though in our hearts we really know this is not right sometimes we get into a fight with someone else the words are exchanged and feelings are hurt maybe we were insensitive we got angry we lost patience and we said what we shouldn't have we know this but we don't apologize we don't take the steps to change our behavior why because our pride doesn't allow it instead it makes up stories for us to believe that person should apologize. They were clearly wrong. They always do this to me. They always put me into these awkward positions. And it's about time someone said something back to them. And so on and so forth. Justification after justification without end. Our minds don't allow our hearts to do what our hearts know is right and correct. More than that, you see in the Haftarah of Parshat Zachar, Shaul HaMelech is commanded to kill and wipe out Amalek, men, women, children, even animals. The night before, Shaul is heavily conflicted. We don't know exactly what he was thinking, but he was doubting the truth of this commandment. How could it be right? How could it be justified to serve Hashem through killing children, animals? And as a result of his doubts, he didn't fulfill Hashem's decree totally. He speared Agag, the king of Amalek, and he speared the animals. And Agag impregnated a woman who gave birth to Haman's great-grandfather, who continued the legacy of Amalek. Sheol's mind didn't allow him to follow Hashem's command without question and it betrayed him. Our minds do this to us as well as well. Some, at times we know we have to take action to serve Hashem. We know we have to speak up and speak out. But then we start questioning ourselves. It's going to cause people discomfort, it'll be make people, you know, it'll be uncomfortable with the situation and they'll be maybe upset with us when we demonstrate that they're, behavior, they're behaving improperly and, and we try to use our minds once again to get us ourselves out of these responsibilities. But there are times in a person's life when we're strongly affected by our situation and then the truth is laid bare. And at that point, all pretenses fall away and we have to face our real self without the layers of explanation and comfortable justifications. And at that point, without all the higher thought processes, a person becomes extremely close to Hashem at an amazing level. When we abandon our minds, which give us so much safety and security, and we just hand it over to Hashem, that's the greatest act of uh, of connection possible. It's making ourselves the most vulnerable and open, and forges an amazing bond. And this is the amazing thing that happened on Purim. Claudius Yisrael finally broke free of the limitations of the mind. And they totally relied on Hashem. And this took a long time. They didn't do it when they were being threatened by Nebuchadnezzar, even when they went in gullus, even when the of HaMikdash was burnt down. It took 70 years of Golis. Again and again, until they finally, subtly realized what Hashem was doing, how much Hashem loved them, and then they finally said, okay, we give it. We give it in. We don't, we're don't. we not going to try to do anything. We're just going to Davin and just love Hashem with all our hearts and soul. And that caused them to forge a brand new bond with Hashem that supplanted the bond that they had made at Harsinai. It was a new bond, a new bris. It was historic. Rabbi Rucham explains that this new bond was specifically because the nace didn't happen openly, only in a subtle, hidden manner. He says that on Harsinai, there was such an open display of Hashem's presence and glory, we were forced to accept the Torah. Now, not literally forced. But simply out of the extreme clarity, our minds forced us to accept. We saw everything. We saw Hashem. We saw His presence. We were overwhelmed by it. We couldn't imagine any other option. And that was an element of being forced. And it compromised the perfection of Kabbalah Saterah on Har Sinai. But on Purim, where the miracles were subtle, it was totally in the hands of the Jews. And they made that choice themselves to totally accept the Torah, abandoning any limitations that their mind might put upon them, any worries that they had, any questions, doubts that they had about their bond with Hashem, and they fully gave themselves over to Hashem. And this is what drinking wine is meant to accomplish on par. We're not meant to lose our inhibitions and then break out in bad behavior. We're meant to lose our higher capability of rational thought so that we can start to do what our heart really knows and wants to do. This brings us to such a great love of Hashem, which is where we're striving to get to Amparim, Amparim, whether we drink or not, we can direct our hearts towards this concept, to simply loving Hashem. No cheshbanes, no, 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 no inhibitions, no worries, and the truth is there's no time to think Amparam. We're so busy with Mishlei, Hamanas, with Megillah, our kids, the Suda, and that's precisely the point. Leave the thinking behind. Just go with your heart and soul. Have a good Shabbos and a Freylich HaPurim.